and the celebration will begin. The Dallas Mavericks are NBA champions. The first title in franchise history. Welcome to the Sportscasters episode number 25. It is June 14, 2011. We are coming from Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett. And my usual co-host, Don Russ, is in the basement again today. Once again, a little bit of a flare-up from his uh, ongoing problem with scurvy. So Don is not going to be able to join us today. But it kind of works out because one of our good friends, one of the good pals of the podcast, Jimmy Browley, has, was on the show about two months ago, and he joined us to do three things. I think it was another time Don was out, maybe. And his first thing was that everyone should back off of Dirk Nowitzki and the Mavericks because they're not chokers. And I remember kind of thinking, all right, well, hey, you got to stick with your guys. You know, that's cool. And here we are, about two months later, and the Dallas Mavericks are the champions of the NBA. So... For one, I think all of Dallas should thank the sportscasters because clearly uh, we started this great run for their team. And the second thing I want to say is, Jimmy, the floor is yours. Take a victory lap, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I couldn't, ex- couldn't expect to come on the podcast, say, you know, give props to Dirk, and then him back me up all the way through the playoffs and Come, come out with the Larry O'Brien trophy for the Mavericks. But, yeah, just unbelievable. Unbelievable run for the whole team. He sure as hell backed you up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, so. I, I mean, I, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure Dirk is a regular listener of the sportscasters. And probably <laughs> when he heard that, he said, you know, i got to stick up for my boy Jimmy here and make sure to deliver the goods. And, and he sure did. I mean, he was fantastic all, all playoffs. And it was really – that Dallas team was a fun team to watch. And I, I think I told you last time, I've always been a big Cuban fan. You know, and I always, I always pulled for him and, and hoped that his team would eventually get a championship for him because he always goes the extra miles for the fans. And uh, I was glad to see him as happy as he was. That was one of my favorite things, watching the coverage, because uh, he, he was on mute mode the whole playoffs. Nobody really heard from him. And uh, it was good to see him back out there dropping S-bombs on Sports Center and uh, just being Mark Cuban. A couple things before we get going here. I'm terrible at this, and I'm trying to get better. But since we are new to Stitcher, uh, Stitcher is a, a podcasting app that's available on your iPod or your, I, your iPod Touch, your iPhone, iPad, or even Android, I believe. And uh, we're finally part of the Stitcher family. We're going to put a logo on the website tonight that will allow you to click to it. And since we might have some new listeners today, I just wanted to mention our website is www.sports-casters.com. And you can find all this other stuff on there as well. If you click on contact, you will find that our Facebook is facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Our Twitter is at sports underscore casters. My Twitter is at diversity23. And our guest host today, Jimmy Browley, his Twitter is at JT Browley. And also, you can find our blog. I'll be doing a live blog for Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Finals tomorrow. You can find it at thesportscasters.blogspot.com. 
sportscasters.com. And if you ever want to email us, our email address is the sportscasters at gmail.com. Another thing we've been working on this summer is a little bit of a cross-promotion with the Fatty Hockey League. I know I've been mentioning it a few times. And uh, we're going to get down to Leisure Rinks again and do another live blog. But also we're going to start doing some athlete spotlight podcasts with some of the players in the FHL. And confirmed at this point, we have Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks. We have Tim Kennedy, formerly of the Buffalo Sabres and uh, the now with the Florida Panthers. And also we have Kevin Quick, who is going to be a really interesting story. He actually is from Buffalo, New York, went away to prep school, got a full ride to Michigan, ended up getting kicked out uh, for stealing the credit card of his roommate and having to be signed by the Lightning, who picked him in the third round. And ever since then, he's been kind of bouncing between the East Coast Hockey League and the AHL. And Kevin already told me that he's willing to talk about anything, so that should be an interesting interview. And one last thing before we get going, uh, we have made a decision uh, there has been some talk that maybe we would take some time off over the summer. We're not going to do that. We don't think that we're in a position just yet where we can go away for three weeks and expect everyone to follow us when we come back. And we're having a lot of fun, too. So we're just going to stick it out, and we're going to have new episodes all the way through the summer and into what I hope is the start of the college football and NFL seasons. Having said all that, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright, Jimmy, since you're the guest, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Alright, we talked a little about it before and I started talking about them last time, so for my first thing, I want to still talk a little bit more about the Dallas Mavericks and their uh, victory in the championship. So, it's just I'm just so happy for this team. Obviously, as a fan of the team, that's biased, but just even when Dirk was taking all the criticism through t- from 2006 and on, Mark Cuban has stuck with him, said he was going to be the man to win in this championship, and he was right. So, and even Dirk said at the championship, this was a victory for team basketball because during the during the finals, I said like if the Heat win, like this is basically the end of basketball because you, if, as you watch this Heat team, could you see like as talented as they were and when they would dominate the game at times, they just they just were not fun to watch. They just when their offense was like their offense was basically just give like LeBron or Dwayne the ball and watch them do something or just stand around. And where the Mavericks were just such a great team. Like, great ball movement, great team defense, had that great zone that shut them down, and it was just a lot of fun to watch. All throughout the, like, Mavericks roster, you got contributions from everyone, including, like, Brian Cardinal and guys like that. So it was just a lot of fun, and it was a great team to watch throughout this playoffs. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm not the biggest basketball guy. I've admitted that. But I have taken a bigger interest in this playoffs other than times past. And the reason, and we said it on this podcast before, is because I think we found a villain this year, and that villain was LeBron James. And I had a great time rooting against LeBron and Wade and, to a lesser extent, Bosch this playoffs. And I'm just glad to see they didn't win it. Like you said, it, it would have uh, just highlighted shortcuts and uh, not team basketball, whatever the opposite of that would be, individual yeah. basketball. And uh, I'm glad the Mavericks were able to do it. Again, I'm a big Cuban guy. 
other than Dirk, who do you think was was the most in the biggest piece of the team that was able to win this title? Well, obviously throughout the playoffs, Jason Terry came up huge, but the two biggest guys I think besides Dirk and Terry were like the free emergence of Jason Kidd and then Sean Marion too, just because they were both able to play great defense. Like even throughout, the, I don't know throughout the whole playoffs, Jason Kidd has guarded. Kobe Bryant, you know, he's got a Russell Westbrook for a little bit. And then Marion was guarding Kevin Durant. Then they both had to guard, like, uh, Dwayne and LeBron. And it was just amazing what they were able to do. Yeah, I, I, was, I was surprised. I thought that uh, going into the series, I thought Kid might be a little bit of a liability. And uh, he proved me wrong. He really gave some good minutes. And uh, J.J. Berea, is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, really. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was fantastic. Really fun to watch. Little guy uh, for NBA standards. And it's great to see him do what he did. Really, just a really fun team. And, you know, now that they have this championship, um, I think, you know, it's validated Mark Cuban as an owner. I was a little disappointed I didn't get to see. I know a lot of people were disappointed that they didn't get to see Mark Cuban receive the trophy directly from (laughs) David yeah. Stern, as they have always battled over the years. But mm-hmm. you could see David Stern wasn't happy anyway, huh? He sort of looked like a, bit, a little bit of a curmudgeon up there, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely saw that. And hopefully, like, we'll probably see the C team back in a few finals. And this, like, without any, like, major changes to the, like, uh, rules for a salary cap for NBA, like, this will be the worst team probably. But for now, it's just nice to see them lose this year. Absolutely. My first thing. So, the NFL and the players are apparently meeting in secret in Maryland over the last few days, and the Associated Press reported today that the two sides are headed in the right direction, and that lawyers for the owners and players are back in the room, um, and they're getting closer, and the framework for a new collective bargaining agreement could be in place before the owners' meetings next Tuesday in Chicago. And all I have to say is, over this whole process, I've been a little bit negative, and I've been, a l- and I think I'm going to let my guard down a little bit and be excited about this. Um, I never got excited about any of the court stuff because I know how that goes; it just kind of drags out, and there's appeals, and big deal, and that kind of true to form. But you know what? I'm excited about these these developments, and I hope that the players and the owners realize that the only smart deal they make is one that has football on the field this year and on time. Anything else is stupid. Any other deal they make is, is just a travesty. So I'm glad to see the two sides are meeting again. Yeah, and I just saw like a few hours ago that they said like the negotiations are like 80 to 85% complete. So this is looking really good. I'll stop thinking about things to do next season if there's no football season and probably no basketball season as well. So Yeah, basketball could get ugly. And, yeah, uh, basketball, we're not too, everyone's not too confident about. So football, they have the money there, so hopefully they'll be able to figure everything out. Your number two thing. Sure. For my number two thing, I wanted to talk about a sports website that I'm sure a lot of people in the sports world have heard about, the uh, Grantland website that opened uh, last week to start. And, yeah, if, have you been following it? Steve? Yeah, I have been following it, and I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. You know... Ever since I heard about it from the beginning, I kind of like the idea of one just kind of getting Simmons away from underneath the ESPN logo, so to speak. I know this is still an ESPN project, but 
you know, mm-hmm. right from the first day, he's been a little bit looser with the language and mm-hmm. just kind of maybe being himself a little bit more. So, yeah, I've definitely been following it. I'm interested to hear what you think of the first week so far. Yeah, the first time I saw him throw, like, an F-bomb in one of his columns, I was a little thrown back. But then I was like, oh, yeah, no longer on ESPN rules. But, yeah, I think it's only, like, it's been great, you know, seeing all these sports writers come together, like, all this talent on this website. Like, I love reading Chuck Colson, as I said last time, and he said a few columns. And I don't think Simmons has written this many columns in a week span in a very long time. So it's just great to see them all coming together. And I think it's only, like, the tip of the iceberg for what it will become. Yeah, I mean, I like a bunch of their ideas, like the triangle um, is going to be a sports blog, and then they have the Hollywood prospectus, which I think should be really good. Yeah, and uh, they've touched on like TV and movies and stuff as well, so it's not just going to be sports. Like They're throwing a lot of pop culture in there as well, which is really cool. Yep, and uh, you can follow that. It's at Grantland33 on Twitter, and I've already subscribed for the RSS feed. Yeah, and you asked, uh, cool. you asked a good question. You know, is this, is Simmons going to write any ESPN exclusive articles, or do you think that he's just pretty much going to be writing exclusively for Grantland from now on? Yeah, I, I can't see him going back to ESPN to write anything, just because I'm sure he'll get addicted to the freedom of just writing under Grantland. But, but yeah, because I, I have the RSS to both Simmons on ESPN and then Grantland as well, and I kept seeing the double, so I was hoping he would give an answer, but obviously not. But, yeah, it's getting kind of annoying. Yeah, I think you're probably going to be safe to be able to to cancel the ESPN one, because like you said, it just seems like once he's getting this freedom, I can't imagine seeing him giving it back. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I wonder what, I, I even wonder what a, what a column looks like that he turns in for this website, because I'm sure there are still editors, and I'm sure it still has to go through a process, and maybe there are some jokes taken out. Maybe not. But, um, and I'm also excited to see what the, what the site will bring in terms of podcasting. Uh, I know yeah. the BS report's the only one posted right now, but it'll be interesting to see. He has said that they wanted to expand that, and I'm, the sportscasters will be more than willing to to uh, to give their talents to Grantland if uh, Mr. Simmons is <laughs> interested. And I was a little disappointed that Damashek isn't going to be a part of this. I'm glad he has got his thing going on with the NFL Network, but yeah. when I heard about it, I was hoping it would maybe be something he could be a part of, and who knows, maybe down the line he will be. My number two thing, the Stanley Cup Finals has been crazy. And, uh, you know, first of all, anytime the Sabres aren't involved, one thing that I root for is whatever's best for the NHL. Because I am a hockey fan. I'm really passionate about hockey. Hockey's been in my family. Uh, I played through high school. I have a younger brother who played in USHL and is going to be going to uh, Yale next year on a full hockey scholarship. And I love hockey, and I wanted to do good. And I think the the one thing that's most important anytime a series is involved is will it, does it go deep? Because it always takes a few games for a series to build momentum. And I think they should do a really good rating tomorrow, even despite having you know half of the rating kind of cut off with the Canadian market. It's been interesting to see Boston has been number one, Providence has been n- number two, and Buffalo has been number three straight through in the ratings of the finals, which have been really well. Uh, and it's disappointing that Mason Raymond's not going to be able to part it a game seven, he took a pretty nasty check. Not dirty, just kind of awkward, and he's going to be out for the next three to four months. And then Crooks are beat up. Ham Hughes isn't going to be there. Obviously, Michael Samuelson's been out for quite a while. Uh, Ryan Kessler and Christian Erhoff have had their injuries that they've been playing through. And I've never seen a series where a goaltender has had two shutouts like Ro- Roberto Luongo has at home and been just awful on the road. And uh, do you have any thoughts uh, about the Cup Finals and what you've seen here in the first six games? 
Yeah, I was going to say, because usually everyone says that hockey like, is a sport where home, like, home field doesn't matter as much, but the home field for Roberto Luongo has been insane between his, like it's been a constant type performance at home and just horrendous on the road. So it's something it's, you rarely see in hockey. And I wanted to ask your opinion. What do you, so if, um, if the Canucks win the Game 7, presumably the Consumites will still go to Tim Thomas. And what do you feel about a losing goalie still getting the Consumites trophy? You know, here's the thing. The Consumites trophy is for the playoff MVP. And, uh, you know, and I think we forget that sometimes. You know, the, the idea of the trophy is it's for the person who's been most valuable during the playoffs. So, you know, if the series comes down to seven games, if the finals comes down to seven games and the Canucks win a 2-1 thriller at home or something like that, I don't think you need to force it and, and try to, like, find someone on the Canucks just because they won the Cup. Tim Thomas has been the best player in the playoffs, you know, all, all straight through. He's carried the Bruins team. He's made them a little bit better than they are, and I think he deserves to win it. You know, and a few years ago when Jaguar won it, over Brodeur, I didn't have a problem with that. The only problem I had was the fans in New Jersey kind of booing. I thought that was, you're already going to win the big trophy. You can, you can let Jaguar have the little one. You know, but I, you know, I don't have any problem with it. I think it goes to the finals MVP, or to the playoff MVP, not the finals MVP necessarily, like in baseball. Um, so, you know, I'm okay with it, and I just don't know who I would pick if I had a vote for a Canuck. I yeah, mean, I definitely it, agree. Like, you've seen... Ryan Kessler put up a great performance through the first few rounds, but has been pretty much invisible. And people say he's hurt and whatever, but I couldn't see them giving it to him, and he's probably their best option so far. And Sedin, who still, I think, leads the playoffs in scoring, he only has one point. Uh, Henrik only has one point in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, So I don't see giving it to a a Sedin. And Burroughs has had his moments, but nobody's going to say that he's been... Uh, so I, I just don't think there's any other name. So yeah, I'm I'm, yeah, I'm all right with it. And you know mm-hmm. what? I I, I want to see. It's a tough. Would, would you rather see the Canadian team win it, or would you rather see the Bruins? I mean, neither team has had a championship in a long time. Yeah, it's. I'm sh- I'm sure it would just be crazy in Vancouver after they win. So that would be good to see. But I don't know. As you said, like the. Canada versus USA thing. It's always hard to root for the Canadian team over the United States team. And surprisingly, Boston's been the mo- more likable team in this series. Yeah. You know, they really have. The Canucks have been a little bit on the dirty side, and uh, I, I was really disappointed with the hit on Nathan Horton. I know Nathan Horton mm-hmm. a little bit, and uh, I was really disappointed to see that hit. It was about as dirty as it gets, and it's taken a little bit of the shine off of the finals. But, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow is, is one of my favorite things, and it's happened six times since 2000. The cup will be in the building. Someone's going to win it. And, uh, you know, game seven in hockey, sometimes people say it's the best thing in sports. Well, when it's in the Stanley Cup, it, it's, all, it's all that. It's all that and more. So, yep. your third thing. Sure. For my third thing, I wanted to talk about a story in uh, San Francisco. Like, we see a lot of these athletes like LeBron James who we've come to accept as unlikable and stuff. So we're all familiar with the story with the Dodgers Giants fan with the Giants fan that beat a Giants uh, yep. Dodgers stadium down to a pulp, and he's still in a uh, coma, I believe. So the next uh, series at uh, Giants Stadium, the Giants had uh, their relief pitcher uh, Jeremy Affeld come and speak to the fans beforehand, and he gave this like great thing about um, the like, competition between them on the field and how it ends afterwards. And he's just this very likable um, athlete. He does like all these. 
um, charity things overseas, and he even said, he says in the article in the New York, that came up here in the Sunday New York Times, I don't want to be an American that just sits there and says, I only care about my country, it's only about me. And he said, sometimes because of what we have, we're blessed to have it, and then I'm not again. <clears throat> and he says, like, every day he feels fortunate, and like the rest of us should feel selfish and stuff. But it's just great to see, like, someone, like LeBron James in his press conference was, like, saying, like saying to the people who are happy that he lost, like, yeah, they have to go back to living uh, their average lives. Wasn't that the worst? Realize, like, he basically won a genetic lottery, and he should be grateful for what he has and not, like, throwing it in everyone else's face, you know? Oh, I know. That was – I'm glad you brought that comment up because that was just the worst. I, when he said that, I just cringed because it's just a sign of his immatur- immaturity, and it's a reason why people have so easily gone from supporting to him to rooting against him – and to say something like that and to throw that into the face of the fans of basketball, pay his salary, just a ridiculous comment. And him and Dwayne Wade really act like jerks the whole finals. But back, yeah, to your original, whole- back to your original point, you know, this was a terrible story, but a lot of good things have come on it, out of it. Uh, you know, the curmudgeon that is Barry Bonds has agreed to, to give scholarships to the kids of the guy who was injured. And I, I think it brought light a bigger point. It's something that happens a lot in football. You know, I I hope that I never I'm a Buffalo Sabres season ticket holder, and I never say boo to someone in the HSBC arena who's a fan of the other team. I welcome them there. I'm glad they're there. It it increases the atmosphere. And I just hope that you know sports wide that it will be a lot easier to be able to go out to a road game and just kind of enjoy the game. And not have to worry about being hassled. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in senior year of high school, we had to do we had to go to for participation in government, we had to go observe court. So my mom, she worked right by the Bills Stadium in Orchard Park, and before work one day she took me over to the court and I sat and observed and it happened to be the day that anyone who was given a ticket or arrested at a Bills and Steelers game that they that that was the date that they were to appear. So most of the people who were there that day had gotten in trouble at the Bills and Steelers game. So the first guy up is a Canadian guy, and the judge reads the things. Blah blah blah. You're charged with first degree assault. Um, why don't you tell me about what happened? So the guy says, "Well, you know, Judge, I'm a diehard Bills fan, and after the game, I was really frustrated that the team had lost, and I was sitting in the car in traffic, getting really annoyed." And I seen a guy walking slowly down the street in Steelers gear, and I got mad, and I got out of the car, and I punched him. And the judge says, okay, did he say anything to provoke you? No, he didn't, judge. So why did you do this? I was just mad. So I just, I just punched him. I just punched his lights out. The guy was just being as candid as he could be, acting like it was no big deal. And the judge looked at him and said, you know what? When you come to, this, uh, come to this country and you buy those tickets, that's all a privilege, and that's gone. He slammed his gavel and said, don't come back. Ten years, banned from the United States, uh, banned from Rich Stadium for ten years. And the guy was so confused. He couldn't understand why the judge ruled in such a way. And he's like, well, I have season tickets. And the judge said, well, sell them because you're not welcome here and you're not welcome in the stadium. And I was just, <laughs> I was just sitting thinking, man, what a jerk, you know. And he, he was so honest about it and so willing to just say, hey, I just did it because the guy was wearing a Steelers jersey and I was pissed we lost. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes fans will get lost in all of it and think like that the sports arena is some vacuum that things won't leave outside of. But you have to realize like you're still a human being. You're still like 
in the United States. Like, there's laws, and you can't do stuff like that. And that's really great that that judge did that to him. Now, you live in New York, and you're a big fan of, of the Dolphins. Do you ever yeah, go no, to the Meadowlands? I've been to the old stadium a few times, and I, the last game I was at was uh, it was uh, one of the last games in the season, and uh, it was a Jet-Dolphin game, and that's pretty much if the Dolphins won, they made the playoffs. And I had, I've never felt, like, unsafe going there, but uh, in this game, it was a game Brett Favre through, like, three interceptions, and it, was, it just felt great. But, yeah, I've, I've never felt, like, unsafe, I would say, but maybe I should start to, you know? Yeah, there was a pretty interesting movie kind of about this topic, uh, sort of. I forget. I want to yeah, say the name of the movie. Pat was Novel one, Big Fan? Was it The Big Fan or The I think Fan? It was big Fan, the Pat Novel movie? Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I really liked it. That was a good yeah, movie. Yeah, Big Fan, exactly. Pat Oswald. And it kind of deals with, I guess the bigger plot is that he, he ends up getting beaten up by his favorite giant and kind of wants to protect him. But at the end, he kind of ends up, he, he has this sports radio rivalry the whole time. Well, I won't give it away, but the movie, it's called Big Fan, as you said, Pat Oswald. It's from 2009. I know it's on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's available streaming. So definitely check that out. It kind of looks at this issue, and uh, it's definitely like you, you, you enjoyed it as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like definitely something to check out. So my third thing, Kenny Britt, you are a disaster. What are you doing, buddy? Come on now. I don't know if you heard this, but Titans wide receiver Kenny Britt has two arrest warrants outstanding in Tennessee, and he is suspected of providing inaccurate information on two separate driver's license applications. Huh? You know, look it. If you're not eligible for a driver's license for some reason, given your salary, and I know times are tough with this lockout, I would suggest, Kenny, that maybe you look into getting a driver. If that's not possible, maybe get a ride from your friends, your family. But if you're not eligible for a driver's license, don't lie on the application. And if you get caught once, certainly don't do it a second time. And I know he went to Rutgers. I'm not exactly where he's sure where he's from. But they are saying that the Tennessee Highway Patrol has issued their arrest warrants on April 14th. And they said that they hope that Mr. Britt, upon returning to Tennessee, will turn himself in. And regardless of what the consequences are, he is not a first-time it's not the first time he's been in trouble. So Commissioner Goodell, uh, when there is a co- collective bargaining agreement again, I'm sure will be looking into this. And Kenny Britt is going to be suspended, and he's going to miss games because of just foolishness. He was involved in a bar fight October 22nd in Nashville, uh, but uh, he was later not charged in that incident. Uh, but he's been, he was also arrested last year for three outstanding traffic tickets and, of cur- um, and accused of not playing bail bond. It just goes on and on with this guy. Yeah, it's the same thing when, like you said, like you're a rich, or not necessarily rich, but you're an NFL player, like you have means, You why don't you get a driver? And it's the same thing when you see these professional athletes get like DUIs and stuff, like and all the owners always say like, oh, we'll even pay you for your car service just, and I don't know if it's an ego thing or what, but you see these stories over and over again, it's just, I don't know if these guys have like God complexes or what, but it's insane that they could run into the same problems over and over again. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, here's where we're going to go from here. That's three things. We're going to take a break in a second, and when I come back, I'm going to do an interview with Neil Best. Uh, JT, I'm sure, or Jimmy, I'm sure you're f- familiar with Neil. He writes for Newsday. He is at yep. Sportswatch on Twitter. We're going to talk about all the things that have been going on in the world of sports media in the last couple of months. Also, 
Zach Rosenfield, myself, and my younger brother, we did a uh, podcast for the U.S. Open. I'm going to play about five minutes of that just so you can get a feel for it. And if you're interested, you can go ahead and download the U.S. Open podcast. It's going to be posted with this podcast on our website, non-Stitcher, and anywhere else you find us on iTunes. And also we're going to do an interview later with Aaron Nagler. He is from CheeseheadTV.com. We're going to continue our 32 blogs, 32 teams series. Uh, we started with uh, the Lions in winter a few weeks ago. We're going to stay in the NFC North and focus on the championship Packers. And then instead of pick four today, since Don is in the basement, we are going to have nine and 90 with Zach Rosenfield. Jimmy, thanks for being on the show with me today. I really appreciate your help. Anything else you want to say before we let you go? Uh, no, I think that's good. Uh, maybe I should, like I, I said on Twitter, I said maybe I should uh, defend uh, Chad Henney and Rick DiPietro so they'll bring uh, championships this year, but I don't think that's going to work. Especially um, with Rick DiPietro. Although yeah. he does have about, <laughs> what, 31 more seasons left on his contract, oh so he only needs one of these years to kind of pan oh out. God. Did I ever tell you my Mike Milbury Islander story? No. I don't remember if I've told it on this podcast or not, so I'll say it real quick. So it was 2000. I was at a Pearl Jam concert in Jones Beach. And the way the fan club worked in the year 2000 is you were only able to get tickets to one show that were fan club privileged, which are always the best seats. So people from the fan club that went to multiple shows would always kind of wait by the box office and see if tickets were released that were better than what they had. So a lot of people were kind of mulling around, and the, where the ticket office is at Jones Beach is kind of near the back of the venue. And everyone's standing there kind of just mulling around, and this big gate opens, and everyone turns around, and they're hoping, oh, maybe it'll be something for Pearl Jam, whatever. And it turns out it's, it's Mike Milbury. And at the time, he was running the Islanders, and he, the big gate opens, he walks out, and everyone just kind of snickers, oh, it's Millberry, whatever. And one of the Islanders, I didn't know who, I didn't recognize who it was, he, he walks up to Millberry, and Millberry was letting him in the backstage area. So one of the Rangers fans that was standing there goes, hey, Millberry, you suck. Rangers are going to kick your ass this year. And Millberry, it gets got his attention, he turns around, without missing a beat, he just goes, oh, yeah, fuck you. And then the door closed, and that was it. Never seen him again. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, so just like that, Mike Milbury was, uh, took his razzing, not very well, told the fan how he felt about it, and the gate closed. But Jimmy, thanks for joining us. We'll definitely do it again sometime soon. I promise the captain's in the mail for you. Uh, let us know what you think about that. Have you read the ESPN book at all? No, actually, I just ordered it, so hopefully it'll come soon. It's very good. It's a... Uh, it's a life's work, though. It's yeah, not, uh, yeah. Well, I have the Saturday Night Live one as well. Yeah, it's not an easy, an easy read, but it's worth it for sure. There's a lot of really cool things. Well, Jimmy, thanks for joining us. I'm gonna step away real quick. And I'll be right back with Neil Best. Our next guest is from East Northport, New York, and is a graduate of Cornell University. His incredible career has included covering college hockey in Alaska, covering St. John's and Big East basketball, and working in the New York Giants beat. Today, he covers sports media and business for New York Newsday and can be found on Twitter at SportsWatch. 
a warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Neil Best. How are you doing today, Neil? Well, I, I don't know how I'm going to live up to the introduction. Uh, now I'm feeling a lot of pressure. <laughs> hey, it's just what you've done. <laughs> it's just what you've done. So, we had you on a couple months ago. It was a lot of fun. And I had to have you back because there's a lot going on in the sports media. And also because you're writing about a lot of stuff that I'm really, really interested in. Specifically, I told you last time I was a huge Mike and the Magnot guy. And you just finished a big report that you did with Mike Francesa and a little bit with Chris Russo. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about what you found out about Mike Francesa and Chris Russo, where they stand today? Uh, yeah, it was mostly, it was actually more, you know, Chris, I mean, uh, Francesa versus Michael Kay. I, I was just kind of a, you know, updating, um, you know, three years later, seeing how Francesa's ratings have held up without Russo. And the answer is generally very well. Now, I, I just talked today to the uh, general manager at 1050 ESPN who was telling me again about how the gap between the two stations is shrinking, which it actually has been this spring. Uh, you know, Francesca admitted to me it's been a very bad uh, spring ratings period for FAN. However, looking over the whole, you know, three-year period, um, you know, Mike has not suffered at all. I mean, in terms of his numbers, his ranking, his 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 you know, lead over 1050s afternoon show. It's all been, you know, it goes up and down. But I mean, basically, over time, it's been, he hasn't lost anything uh, from missing Russo. Now, it's a completely different discussion as to whether the show has lost something in quality. But in terms of ratings, it, it really hasn't. Which is, you know, which is probably not what people would have said in the fall of '08 when all this happened. And I think it's disappointing too for anyone who had some kind of wild dreams that someday they'd come back together because I think clearly WFAN is never going to pay Chris Russo any amount of money if they can get the same rating by just paying Francesa. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. you're right. I mean, not only, I mean, even on a smaller scale, you know, in the early days, Mike was expecting to have some kind of sidekick kind of person, but even that's kind of gone by the boards partly because there's, there's no need to pay even a, you know, even a cheaper person than Russo, let alone someone with Russo's salary. So I really don't think that's ever going to happen. I, I do think Mike will either leave at the end of his contract after 2013 or have some kind of shortened hours or, or do something, something different. Um, now, ESPN might go after Russo after his contract's up, which would be yeah. interesting, but I, I don't know. Chris still has two and a half years, as does Mike, so we're kind of a, it's still off in the distance a little bit. It doesn't seem like it's worked out that well for Chris Russo well, on satellite radio. I mean, it's a very hard... Look, I mean, the guy knew when he left that he was going to give up the visibility. He knew that going in. He knew he was getting huge money, which he's you know still getting because Sirius avoided bankruptcy a couple years ago. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, in the radio, there are no ratings to really judge him by with satellite radio. So, I don't know. I mean, every time I've ever talked to him about it, which is not, I haven't really in the last, I don't know, year or so, I guess. But, you know, he, he yes, he admits he's frustrated by the change of sort of stature in the New York sports media world because of the less visibility. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there with Sirius around the country, and, you know, people do listen to him, and it's just a, it's just a kind of a different thing. You know, Jimmy Traina and I were talking about this last week, and neither of them will ever be as great a part as they were together. They had an incredible chemistry mm -hmm. that I think Mark or Mike Francesa found out that he couldn't recreate with any of the people that he brought in, right. uh, you know, in the, the first maybe spring when R Russo was gone. And 
But I think that, you know, one of, uh, one of Francesca's big strengths is football and talking about football. And maybe this spring he's been hurt by the lack of football and the lockout and all those kinds of things. And, you know, at ESPN, it's Michael Kay and baseball. And maybe right. that's been a bit of an advantage for them over the spring. Yeah, and, and also the NBA playoffs helped the 10-50 a little bit because the Knicks being good, you know, kind of helps them, just like the Mets being good helps FAN. Um, yeah, I mean, but he, I think even, I mean, Mike basically acknowledges, well, I don't know if he acknowledges the show's worse than it was a Russo, but obviously he acknowledges it was diff- it's different and and that, you know, you're missing that kind of by-play. And he, I mean, he gets it. He, I mean, well, Mike's a very confident fellow, obviously, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think he would, in the, if I write, which I did in that story, that it's lost some of that chemistry and by-play and unpredictability, whatever, you know, I don't think Mike would disagree with that. You know, he just, his take is, it's still a good show, which is different. Um, I don't know, though. It's very hard. I mean, sitting there for five and a half hours just talking by yourself mostly is really difficult. He doesn't, it's not like he even in, interacts with his producer much. You know, if he had a producer that he sort of brought into the show, that would help. But it's it's tough. And you listen to 1050, and they're, you know, they, they have a lot of interaction among their people, and I don't know, but Mike does, you know, the, the ratings have been good. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think if you ever try to research Mike and the Mad Dog and their history, really all you're ever going to find is articles about basically them and how they got along, did they get along, didn't they get mm-hmm. along. And right. it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, Connor just put out a book, uh, which I think was big in New York, uh, about Derek Jeter. And it seemed like it was two books to me. The first half of the book was all about Derek Jeter's rise to stardom as a Yankee shortstop and the championships. And then the second half of the book is just really about his relationship with Alex Rodriguez. You know, was is he nice enough to Alex? You know, it's all that stuff. And it's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting parallel if you think about it. But uh, did you get a chance to read Ian's book? And what were your thoughts? I did read Ian's book, you know, I, and I've, I've, well, I've written this and I've said it to Ian himself. The, the fact that Jeter was upset by some of the stuff he'd heard about the book is sort of comical when you read the book because 90% of it is just Jeter worship. Um, you know, I think I wrote something like, boy, if, 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 that's, if, that's, a, if that's an author writing a, a biography that's insulting, I, you know, yeah. bring, someone should write one about me, I'll, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> um, the stuff about Alex, you know, he... Ian's a good reporter. He dug out some nuggets, you know, some sort of additional insights to previously known stories, but he didn't break any dramatic new ground, which, of course, with Jeter is almost impossible. And, um, you know, I mean, some of the stuff with A-Rod, I guess, I guess my reaction was sort of similar to Jeter's, which is there was some, there might have been some interesting stuff in there, but it does seem like kind of old news at this point. But it's so hard with Jeter to find him, you know, that was like one of the few times you could, you could accuse him accurately of being a little petty and and even mean at times, and how he dealt with A Rod. Um, you know, but he, but even that, you know, he's kind of worked out, and now it seems to be fine. So, um, you, you know, I told Ian. I mean, if you anybody who decides to take on the job of writing a book about Derek Jeter, I mean, you know, you're gonna, you know, going in, it's gonna be frustrating. <laughs> right. This is not easy. How do you, how has three thousand hits and the chase for it reached you as a sports fan? Is this something? I wonder. Has it lost any luster this time around because Jeter just went through becoming the all-time Yankees hit leader and it, he broke? Well, that know. was such a weird. I mean, that, that was such a weird manufactured record. I mean, 
I think a lot of people, at least I felt at the time, that was way overblown. Now, 3,000, of course, is a huge milestone, uh, even though, you know, there's about, I think, more than twice as many of them as there were when I was a kid. But um, 28th, I think he's going to be, right? Yeah, I think the first one I remember was, I think I think Aaron and Mays both got there in 1970, if I'm not mistaken. That's the first one I remember. But anyway, the... Uh, you know, it's it's gotten a bit, I mean, some of the hype is a bit much. I mean, I've read, today I wrote about, now this was, well, I wrote the story before he got hurt, but about how, um, you know, all the speculation on the secondary ticket market, trying to guess which day it's going to happen so you can buy the tickets. And another one of our guys said about how the, the merchandise sales are going to be. And then, of course, our baseball writers are writing about it every day. We have a pretty cool, actually, Jeter hit tracker on our website that catalogs every hit he's ever had and breaks it down by day and pitcher and, and uh, everything inning um so i mean uh, it, it was an interesting story in the times the other day about roberto clemente's 3072 and john matlack was the pitcher and he said when he took the mound that day he had no idea that clemente was at 29.99 because nobody was talking about it he had no idea Can you <laughs> imagine i mean given the attention now that's hard to believe yeah that's crazy but in 1972 the guy who gave up clemente's 3000 hit didn't know he did it until after he did it <laughs> yeah and that, that's just an interesting story all around obviously with it being his last hit and everything like that yeah that was a lot of, you know of course obviously we didn't know it at the time but it was right. uh, the other but the other point they made was how you know it was about 20,000 or maybe it was 15,000 people in the stands and it just wasn't, you know, people were aware of it, and people certainly knew 3,000 was a big number, but as with a lot of things uh, now compared to then, the, the amount of attention and detail and hype is just uh, through the roof. Were you surprised that ESPN seemed to want the Olympics, yet they didn't get the Olympics? or? Well, I don't think they wanted it. Well, I'm not sure how much they wanted it. I mean, they had a very lukewarm bid, as it turned out. I mean, they were... Fox and NBC both offered four Olympics worth, and ESPN offered two, and the numbers were way below NBC's. And I think what it came down to is, I think the essential thing that happened there is that Fox and ESPN would have liked to have the Olympics, and NBC felt it needed the Olympics. That the only reason people weren't sure what would happen with NBC is whether Comcast, their new corporate overlords, would 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 pay to would overpay, or one could argue overpay to get it like NBC has in the past and as it turned out they did so they got it but they'll use it to you know it's the Olympics are it's a much more complicated thing than just making money by advertising which was the point of it in the old days you know now they're going to use it to make verses to leverage you know verses into more homes than it is now and you know they have ways of making money off of this stuff now that didn't used to exist but uh, to answer your original question, yeah, NBC was worried that basically everybody in media assumes if ESPN wants something enough, they yeah, will get it. Get it. Just yep. like with the Yankees getting free agents. But I don't think they, as it turned out, they, they didn't want it that much or enough to really put it all out there. What did you learn in those guys have all the fun that you didn't know before about ESPN? I learned that I can read a 770-page book in 13 hours if I have to. <laughs> That's I got to give you props on that. I mean, I, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's. There's a lot of good stuff in that book. Um, there's a lot of good reporting. I mean, it's way too long. There's stuff in there that just doesn't need to be there. And one of the hardest things I think for a cat, you see, not when I'm reading about these executives like Steve Bornstein or John Skipper or. 
John I, I don't know. You can name any you name fifty executives that are quoted in there. I mean, I, I like I know these people, so as a reader, it's a little easier to relate to stories about them, or or you can picture them when you're reading about them. But to the average sports fan, I mean, these are just names. It's very hard. I don't know how a casual reader can get through some of that stuff. Uh, the first hundred and fifty pages are difficult. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's right. kind of I mean, dry. It's, it's hard. It's a very well-done business book, you know, about the history of that business. And, you know, like one of the most dramatic moments in the book, just to give an example, is when they convinced Cablevision to pay them, I think it was 10 cents per month per subscriber, which basically revolutionized the television sports business. However, you know, to most sports fans, that's, like, not exciting. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, so there's a lot of really good stuff in there. But but I I just don't know. It's I mean bottom line to me is it's not it's just not for everyone. On the other hand, it's number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. So a lot of people are buying it, and, and I'm rooting for it because of the amount of work put into it. It's not like some you know some of these books that are bestsellers. You can tell people wrote them in a week and just uh, off the top of their head. This thing is an impressive piece of journalistic work. But I mean, it's just oh my god. Yeah, when That's we had much. when we had James Miller on the show, I kind of mentioned you know that one of the criticisms was that the book is maybe two hundred pages long, and he said you know I can understand that, but every show I go on, someone has a different hundred and fifty pages that they like the most. Yeah, so I guess my question has, is no, to you: What would point. you take out? Yeah, no, I know he's made that point, and I'm sure I know. He, well, I know he's not happy with my take on the book, but I'm, certainly there's been a lot more negative ones than mine. Uh, the reviews, but um, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, in, in some ways, I think I was unfair to the book only in the sense that I read it in 13 hours. Whereas if you just read it a little bit by bit, you know, over the course of a couple of months, maybe that's really the way it should be read. But but I think the biggest problem not problem it's not even a problem i have with it. it's just the biggest thing that i would i would warn people buying it is that it's not for everyone if you have a very intense interest in you know the history of sports television then definitely there's a lot of great stuff in there yeah and i think it would help to know going in you know you got to get through those first 150 pages to get to what you're really trying to read and you know i could see a lot of people just not making it but um Right. You know, and another interesting thing about this book is there's certain there's certain things that you're really excited to read about. Like for example, I'm a big Saints fan and I waited up that night that Jim Rome and Jim Everett had that fight because right. I was interested to hear what Jim Rome or Jim Everett would say about being the new Saints quarterback. You know, so you get to the point where he covers that in the book and it's like, Oh, this is awesome, this is great and you're reading it and then he kind of gets off that, and then it's like, well, the next thing in history is that they're changing presidents. You got to read like seven, you know, seven or eight more pages right. about the. And it's just really weirdly set up the oral history aspect of it. Yeah, the oral history thing is weird. Now I did yeah. not read their Saturday Night Live book, which a lot of people like, which is set up the same way. So I wasn't used to that format. Um, it, it's it's a it's all yeah I don't know it's all over the place I mean there's a very interesting passage that comes out of nowhere about when Bobby Fisher when uh, Jeremy Shap confronts Bobby Fisher in Iceland yeah and I actually just saw HBO's Bobby Fisher documentary so which actually I. has yeah. a video of that scene which was kind of cool but there's a lot of cool stuff in the book that's why you know what if someone sort of keeps it in the bathroom you know and reads it bit by bit over the course of four months or something that's probably the right way to read it. 
Yeah, yeah. Because you can jump right. in and out and just look at, you know, you can just pick a spot in the middle and it's fine. And uh, it's a strange book, but 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 again, I I think it was an impressive journalistic uh, effort. Did the personalities of any of the ESPN personalities surprise you the way that they were portrayed in the book? Um, like, I was definitely taken back by Mike Tirico. I mean, you might know, you might have, you probably have a bigger history with Mike Tirico than I do, but I'd never imagined that he was as big of a curmudgeon as he is. You know, it just yeah, kinda, I guess, I guess that's surprising. I mean, he took a beating in Mike Freeman's history of ESPN about 10 years ago too, but, um, yeah, I think he could, didn't come out of it great. I mean, some people have asked me who comes out of it looking the worst, I mean, I think you can make a case Chris Berman gets beat up more than anybody in, in terms of just his image coming out of it, particularly relative to his image as sort of the, you know, happy-go-lucky guy who's sort of the likable on the air, which is part of his whole M.O. He, he, he takes some shots, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, I mean, some of that history stuff, as you said, the first couple hundred pages, um, you know, some of it, I, I, that stuff I wasn't aware of. One of the nice things sort of for posterity is they talked to, for example, Chet Simmons, who's a key figure in the early history of it, who died after he did the interview with Jim Miller. So you know, I said to Jim, well, one of the cool things is that, you know, 50 years from now, if somebody tries to write the history of ESPN, they're obviously going to have to rely on this book for first-person sources because a lot of those people aren't going to be around anymore. So this is kind of the last opportunity to really get the details about how it all came down once and for all no he he told me that there would be more volumes and that he's even interested in continuing the project so really yeah <laughs> oh my god i mean he said he cut he cut 200 pages he wanted well, to be I, in there so, and <laughs> I, it's well, you know what? i mean first of all look i mean i'm a writer i totally understand how you know and how painful it is to cut stuff out that you think is important and i know it was hard for him to get to 770 but I'm sorry, he doesn't, I mean, if he wants to, like, have, like, an online component or something where it's, uh, like, you know, you can read the, the, the excerpt, the, 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 you know, the stuff that ended on the cutter room floor, that'd be fun. Well, it's funny you say that. I, 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 I asked him. I asked him for a story that ended up on the cutting room floor, and he wouldn't give me one because he said that when they put the paper back out, they might take some stuff that was in it out and put some right. new stuff well, in. I mean, like, I, guess oh, geez. I mean, I I guess that's fine. I, I don't know. I mean... I think that, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine from college who's a huge sports fan, highly educated, you know, guy, but he's a lawyer. He's not in the sports media. And I described the book to him just because I was curious to see whether he'd want to read it. And, you know, his take was, look, I, I watch ESPN all the time, but for him ESPN is just the place that he turns on to find out about sports. Like, he doesn't need to know the economics of it, or the history of it, or every personality right. behind Tariqa it. Tariqa and I mean, Kornheiser get along. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, now in some cases, you know, look, these people on TV, they are stars, people want to know about them, I get it. But I think maybe people in this, people, like myself included, in the sports media, who were waiting so much for this book to come out, may have overestimated the extent to which people really care about ESPN beyond the fact that that's where they want to get their sports you know, coverage. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you, and yet there it is, number one on the. I know you're old. It is Father's Day, so you know that helps. That does. So, <laughs> Grantland is another big thing over at ESPN. What have you thought about the launch of Grantland, and where do you see it going in the future? 
Well, I guess I, it also falls into the category of not being for everyone, I guess. But, I mean, I, I think it's nice that ESPN has the resources to just kind of throw something like that out there as a as just a, a supplementary thing that, that, you know, an outlet for long-form interesting writing. I mean, I, I can't see – I can't – I mean, since it's free to us, I don't see why there's a downside – and they wrote a very, I thought it was a really good, same oral history format as the ESPN book, A History of the National, uh, which, of course, I'm old enough to remember, yep. you know, from 90 and 91, which was a huge thing back then, you know, the first national sports daily. And, um, you know, it was really long, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that there's not necessarily normally a place for. And now it's there. I mean, it doesn't mean people have to read every article that they post on that site, but, like, why not have a site with some interesting writers and long-form stuff, and if, you don't, if you're not interested in it, then don't read it. This weekend is the U.S. Open. Do you generally prefer NBC's coverage of the majors, or do you prefer CBS's coverage of the majors? I mean, I can't, you know what? I can't honestly say I have a strong preference one way or the other because Faldo and Miller are both you know, kind of funny and edgy, and uh, I like, you know, I mean, Miller's more unpredictable, of course, and, um, I mean, to, look, I mean, to me, they both do a good job, I can't, maybe if I was more of a golf um, expert, I, I would I would have a strong opinion, frankly, but I don't, and now that, you know, without Tiger, I, I admit it, I'm a typical casual golf fan, and when Tiger's not in it, I'm less interested, that doesn't mean I won't watch the last round of a major, just because Tiger's not in it, but it does dampen my enthusiasm a little. Were you surprised that the NHL stuck with NBC and Versus, or do you think that the you know, $2 billion is just something that they were never going to be able to walk away from? That the, NH- that the NHL stuck with them, or that they stuck with the NHL? <laughs> that's, that's a good uh, point. Well, you know what, I mean, I, I think, the, look, I, I guess the NHL was serious all those years, and they were saying that they liked being the number one, you know, basically a big fish in a small pond at Versus versus a small fish in a big pond at ESPN. And I think the the fact, the, the coincidence really, it, it was, it's just a coincidence that their cable home, which is Versus, and that their broadcast home, which is NBC, just happened to end up as in the same company now. Right. But that worked perfectly for them because now it's all integrated and it's like, you know, they're going to change the name of Versus to NBC something in the next couple months anyway. You know, so plus, of course, they got the Olympics still on NBC. So it, it really all, it makes more sense than ever for the for the NHL to be with them now. Uh, than it, you know, versus will probably continue to grow because it's got Comcast behind it. So yeah, really, the whole NBC Comcast versus thing is going to work great for the NHL. So it, it, it makes more sense for them to be there now than it ever did before. The sportscasters are here with Dio Best from Newsday. You can find his work at Newsday.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He is at SportsWatch. Just a couple more questions before we let you go. I know you got a big night tonight. First thing, uh, another thing I was just curious, how, how are you and Twitter evolving as your, your relationship with Twitter? Are you well, still I, enjoying I mean, I, it? Or? I, just, I thought uh, very early on I called it a fad, and Bill Simmons did a retweet of me telling me I was nuts. Um, of course, it's seems to have some staying power now. I mean, I like Twitter, but, you know, the, the for the Newsday writers, it has a special place for us because since our website went to a subscriber model, you know, we're not, our stuff is not as easily read as it used to be online. So for Twitter, for a lot of us, Twitter is a way to kind of reach people that otherwise can't read our stuff. 
so that's good. Um, yeah, but I mean, there are downsides to Twitter. Just I mean, the, I, I'm, if you went into let, let's uh, just pick a major event. I don't know if you let, let's say the NBA Finals last night or Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if you walk down the press row or in the press room during that game, I promise you, eighty percent of the screens would be on Twitter. So sports writers are just living, whether they're tweeting their own stuff or obsessively reading, you know, other people's stuff. It's just amazing how integrated it's become in the coverage of, you know, the day-to-day stuff of what we do. A lot of it's, you know, people being more clever than they really, thinking they're more clever than they are with uh, cracking jokes. Uh, I, I find readers care more about me giving them information than about clever lines. But uh, look, I mean, it's a reality, and it's, it's. I mean, for me, it's been mostly a positive. It's just, but obviously, it's you know, it has to be used with care. <laughs> Do you ever kick yourself and say, "Oh man, I should have saved that for for a column. I shouldn't have tweeted that, uh, or vice versa." You know, not really. You know what? Our, it's all become so integrated. I don't even worry about it anymore. First of all, on our blogs, they have to, our Twitter feeds are on our website. So it's almost like we're writing for Newsday anyway. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, if I tweet something at that I think's good at like uh, you know ten in the morning. If I just plagiarize myself and put it in the next day's paper, nobody cares. I mean, it's not like it's okay to plagiarize yourself. So no, mostly I don't. Uh, e- even even the times where I've reported some news there before writing my newspaper story, they have not complained about it. So I guess it's okay with them. And, and I think part of the reason it's okay is because if I tweet something, it's on my blog. So therefore. Newsday readers, you know, can read it through a Newsday vehicle. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So the NFL says that they're pretty close potentially to wrapping this lockout up. I don't know for sure if they will or not, but one reason I'm excited that they might is because I'm excited to have Marv Albert back. What do you think about NBC or no CBS taking advantage of of Marv and his talents? And I. Yeah, I I have a, just a quick ca- caveat to that. He's always said that he he loves to to talk to talk hockey. Did the NHL miss an opportunity the last few years when he was calling basketball games for the Nets? You know that maybe they could have utilized Marv Albert in some way. I don't know. You know when I talked to Marv after they announced that CBS thing, I was actually surprised when I asked him his favorite sports in order, and he said uh, he he said uh, basketball. Football, baseball, hockey. I was like, I was like, really? As a mm. hockey guy, I'm disappointed. And, you know, he said, "Well, I haven't done it in a while." And you know, he's more of a, you know, he's so into basketball. And so he, you know, he, he's, I guess, he's moved on from hockey. But uh, yeah, it was a no-brainer. I mean, it's like, you know, I believe me, I hear every complaint there is out in the world about every announcer there that that's on TV or radio, and I very, very rarely hear Marv complaints, even after all these years. I mean, the guy's 70 years old, so for CBS, it's kind of a no-brainer, and uh, uh, and obviously, the you know their relationship with Turner, it all kind of makes sense because Marv's sort of a CBS personality anyway, since he's calling the NCAA tournament. So it's kind of a very non-controversial way to replace Gus. Uh, the interesting thing, of course, is going to be a who they pair him with, and b where he is in the hierarchy. He's not going to be right. the number one team, but the question is, you know, is he the number two guy after Nance and the head of Gumble, or is he number three? Which will, of course be knocking an iron down a, a peg like you know kind of like what happened when Marv went to the Nets in 05 in the first place <laughs> so uh, that, that's where the 
that's where the controversy might be is where Marv is on the depth chart. Who do you and, like? And they, and they haven't announced that yet, so I don't know. Yeah, who do you like tomorrow night? Oh God, I suppose it's what's well, got to be Vancouver two to one, right? Because that's that's the way it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they get pulled out in Boston and then win a shutout at home. It seems like right. that's been the. No, I mean, I, you know what? I mean, it'd be sort of cool for Boston to win because it's been so long, and you know, obviously, original six team and all. On the other hand, it does seem wrong that Canada hasn't had a cup since '93. So, yep. you know, either way, it's fine with me. All right, it's Neil Best on the Sportscasters again. You can find his work at Newsday dot com and at Sportswatch on Twitter. Thank you very much for joining us again. Really thanks. appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, the sportscaster's back here. I want to thank Neil Best for joining us today. Neil is always one of the one of the better guests. I want to thank him for for stopping by. And uh, right now, you're listening to episode 25, and I just wanted to to remind everyone that. Along with episode 25 this week, we also did a, a U.S. Open golf podcast, and I'm just going to play a couple minutes of that for you here so you can get a taste of it. And if you're interested in hearing more, Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com, my younger brother Anthony uh, from the Waterloo Backhawks of the USHL, and soon to be a Yale Bulldog hockey player, and I, we just kind of talked all about the U.S. Open. So we'll play a couple minutes of that. And if you're interested in downloading more, you can find it at www.sportscasters.com. And uh, the whole thing is there. And it's called the U.S. Open Bonus Podcast. Uh, we did one for the Masters. We did for the, one for the U.S. Open. And I'm sure we'll do one for the British and, and, and the PGA as well. So what we're going to do is just play a couple minutes of that. And then we'll be back with Aaron Nagler. And uh, after we do the interview with Aaron and his Green Bay Packers site, we will end the show with 9 and 90 with Zach Rosenfield. So we'll be right back. Well, I, based on the odds, uh, the odds would say the, the strongest uh, opportunity for a U.S. golfer is going to be with Phil Mickelson. But again, I think Phil Mickelson attracts a lot of money to the window because he's identifiable. Right. And then the odds would say that it's a dead heat between Mayhan, Stricker, Kuchar, and even Dustin Johnson is a little bit ahead of those guys. I don't think Matt Kuchar gets a lot of respect on the national scene because for people outside of the golf world because they don't know who he is. But Kuchar is probably like the closest thing to what will become a crusty 30 to 40-something on the tour because he's just an absolute grinder. And I really look at adversity and ability to handle uh, adversity on a golf course. And very rarely does Matt Kuchar blow up. He's just one of those guys that can just knock out par after par after par and doesn't really put his game in a lot of jeopardy throughout the 18-hole tournament or the 18-hole round as guys like maybe Dustin Johnson or Hunter Mahan or Roy McIlroy will do with their ability to take big chances and play more to their personality. Guys like Matt Kuchar, when they play to their personality, are very similar to guys like Steve Stricker and Jim Furyk, who are just straight ahead, rack up the pars, stay out of trouble, and, and keep moving ahead. Our next guest is a Wisconsin native, a graduate of the North Carolina School of the Arts, and is currently standing on top of the blogging mountain as he runs the nicest, 
probably coolest and definitely the one that appealed to me the most, and that's Green Bay Packers' blog on the internet. It's called Cheesehead TV. His name is Aaron Nagler, a warm sportscaster's welcome. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for uh, kind words about the site. You're, you're far too kind. Well, you know, you should be you should be really proud because here's what happened. So we did a fo- we did a Super Bowl show. Obviously, you know the Packers were in the Super Bowl, and we did a Super Bowl show, and we had a beat writer from Green Bay on the show, and his name was Rob Domofsky. I'm sure you've read mm-hmm. him before. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, we stayed in touch a little bit since the Super Bowl, and. Um, we started this project called 32 Teams, 32 Blogs, and we thought it would just be cool to find an, a unique blog for each NFL team and uh, bring someone on and talk about the blog, talk about all the things we're going to do. So I reached right. out to Rob and asked him, so what's the best Packers blog? And he said, well, if you mean just a traditional newspaper blog, I think we're the best. I didn't mean that. He said, <laughs> but if you, mean, if you mean a fan blog, I think it's definitely Cheesehead TV. And uh, I checked Cheesehead TV out, and uh, it was hard to disagree with him. So, well, that's awfully nice of you, and awfully nice of Rob. And it's nice of Rob to put aside some of our contentious past. He he likes to point out before we got to know Rob, uh, my partner and I, Corey Banky and I would uh, would would kind of uh, rip him apart mercilessly. But that was before we knew him, and before we knew what a great guy he was. But, yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was all in good fun. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's been good to us. Uh, we don't know him as good as probably you do. Um, uh, being, I'm we're from Buffalo, New York. Not sure if I told that to you or not, but uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, you know him a little bit better. First question I have, I guess, formal question for you is just how did the idea for the blog come up? Uh, what made you guys? I mean, it's obviously a huge undertaking. Uh, it's one of the most developed blogs that I've seen so far in researching for this project um so kind of how did you how did you get started and and uh how did you get to this point well uh cory and i went to school together cory banky my co-founder and i went to school together down in north carolina uh we both moved to new york at roughly the same time and you know i guess in our circle of friends we were very famous for always arguing about the packers you know, we're both monster fans, and we both had very strong opinions about the team. And finally, one day, I think Corey had the idea that we should do a podcast. Uh, and this was four or five years ago, and I didn't even know what a podcast was. But he said, basically, we'll just do what we always do. We'll argue about the Packers. Um, and then in the course of doing that, we, you know, he had the idea also that we should start a website. Uh, you know, because I had done a little writing on my own. Just a little, you know, blogspot blog that no one had, no one was reading except maybe my dad. <laughs> uh, and uh, so he said we should start a website. We should do a blog and have a podcast. And I thought, all right, that sounds, you know, that sounds like fun. And at the time, it wasn't that it wasn't that big a deal. You know, it was just kind of two guys, you know, saying their grief about the Packers. And then it just kind of, I guess, I don't know what happened, but it just kind of took on a life of its own over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, we. You know, we obviously, like I said, we reached out to Rob and all sorts of people that cover the Packers for a living. And, you know, we would we would talk to them. We would uh, talk to other fans, other bloggers. And we would highlight other bloggers. We would attack other bloggers. Um, you know, it just, it just, and I guess I just, our passion kind of just took over. And 
we kind of made it a, a second job for ourselves, and that's kind of uh, where we are now. And we've we've taken on other bloggers who uh, you know had started their own blogs. Uh, in regards to the Packers, we kind of like to say we kind of like find uh, the best people out there and kind of assimilate them into our our Borg, as it, as it were. I mean, we've got Brian Caravu, who has really uh, become kind of like our our version of a beat reporter. Uh, he had been working on his blog, and he kind of inspired us to start our blog. Uh, he wrote for a, uh, a site that he did himself called Railbird Central, and we liked him so much, we just kind of pursued him for uh, a few years, and now he writes for us almost every day. Um, you know, in, in addition to myself, we've also got uh, Alex Talish, who he was another one who he had a very big Packers blog called Packers Lounge, and we convinced him to come on board as well. And so, you know, Corey and I and and, uh, you know, Alex and Brian are kind of like the core uh, of Cheesehead TV with Corey and, I and myself being the co-founders. And really it's just, uh, you know, a bunch of people who really love the Packers and who really, uh, uh, you know, feel the need to share our, our rambling thoughts about the team. Tell me a little bit about the podcast. Well, it's, uh, it's called Packer Transplants, and we do it pretty much every week during the season. Uh, you know, like I said, this, we, we all have regular you know, quote-unquote, day jobs. Uh, so we, we do this uh, podcast once a week, and we, it started as a kind of a 20-minute show back in 2007. Uh, you know, it was available on iTunes. No one listened to it. It was fine. But it kind of grew over time, and then finally Corey and I decided to start doing live shows, and we now it's kind of grown into an hour and a half every uh, week of the season. And then we do one or two shows during the off-season as well, uh, you know, based around the draft and things like that. But... Um, so you know we do a we we have you know Packer players on we've had Packer alumni on uh, we've had the beat you know various beat writers uh, various national writers come on the show and uh, it's been great you know it's 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 a labor of love again but uh, we love it and again I think a lot of longtime listeners and, and watch viewers would tell you that one of the highlights is when Corey and I argue I mean it's always uh, like I said it's kind of it always comes back to that whatever whatever else the site and the podcast might be about it is all born from Corey and I arguing about the Packers that's great I, I almost feel a little bit cheated that I didn't have you both on so I could have had some uh, Corey <laughs> and uh, Aaron arguing right here on the on the sportscasters but um you know it, when you when you go what what's uh let's see how do I want to ask this what what's basically the mission of the site? Like, what exactly are you trying to accomplish with Cheesehead TV? Well, we've always said from day one, uh, and this is still you know in our masthead, and it's on the on the site itself. Everywhere you look, uh, it's on our RSS feed. Everything uh, we are dedicated to Green Bay Packer fans around the world. When we started, uh, it was very you know to be a Packer fan anywhere other than Wisconsin was a bit of a desolate thing. It was like you were desperate for every morsel of news that you could find. Uh, and now, you know, we hear from people literally from all over the world. We've got, you know, diehard fans in Japan, in Australia, uh, the Middle East. You know, we've got lots of service members who write to us to tell, uh, thank us for, you know, being a place, a one-stop shop, as it were, uh, when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. And that's what we've always been about. We've always been about bringing fans that and that's why we call it Packer Transplants. You know, we're people that are, you know, obsessed with the team, but we don't live in the area. You know, and of course we still connect with lots of people in Green Bay and in Wisconsin, but you know, we the whole reason we started the site was we knew there were, you know, you can't, you know, do a story on the Green Bay Packers and their fans without 
talking about, you know, you can't go anywhere in the world without running into a Packer fan. Uh, and so we wanted to, you know, we wanted to make a place, a home on the web for people all over the world. They could go and find out anything they needed to know about the Packers. So you guys have been doing this for a couple of years. So here's something I'm curious about. How did you guys handle the, tradi- the transition from Aaron Rodgers to Brett, or from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers? Well, you know, everyone was divided about that issue, I think, in Cheesehead Nation, we'll say. And I think there was, uh, you know, this segment of people who wanted Favre to come back and play for them. And then there was this other segment that kind of turned on Favre. What was uh, Cheesehead TV? How did you guys handle that? Probably the biggest story you've had since you've been a blog, I'd assume, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that coupled with the Super Bowl. But, yeah, you, you know, it was – I'm proud to say that we were always – I mean, this is always, and you can search the site, and this is true. I was always a very staunch Ted Thompson defender when it came to uh, his treatment of Favre after Favre had retired. Um, we were we were very pro Aaron Rodgers. We were very excited to see Rodgers, you know, come take over the starting spot and see what he could do. What was funny is that there were a lot of a lot of people, a lot of Packer fans who were very anti Ted Thompson, very anti Aaron Rodgers, who you know. The internet is a wonderful thing, if for no other reason that it grants people anonymity to lob uh, hate grenades at you uh, <laughs> from wherever they are, and we got a lot of that when uh, that whole episode went down. But you know, I, it, at the same time, I was obsessed with what was going to happen with Favre. I mean, any I think every Packer fan was, but seriously, I, I couldn't sleep. I kept. You know, I would wake up at two in the morning to see if there had been a, a, a midnight deal made that he was going to be, when he was, you know, when everyone knew he was going to be traded. It was like, where was he going to go? Was he going to go to the Jets? Was he going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Like, and I think everybody at that point was kind of my, even my wife, who's not a monster Packer fan, but she has gotten into it. And she would even, honey, what are you watching? We've got to watch NFL Total Access. We've got to see what's going on with Brett. So, you know, I think everybody in, in Packer fandom kind of got swept up in that, but. We were always very pro Aaron Rodgers, very much in Ted Thompson's corner, and you know, thankfully Ted's proven uh, proven himself correct in that regard. As a long-term Packer fan, are you kind of annoyed at the sideshow that Favre has put on the last few years? I mean, to me, it's like Brett Favre came along, changed the franchise, won a Super Bowl. I'm a big Saints fan, and I kind of I'm trying to think of it in terms of Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees came along revitalized the franchise, won a Super Bowl. And I wonder if five years down the road, if he turns into this cartoon of himself, as Brett Favre has, would it, would it, would it ruin the, the connection that I have with him right now? So let's pose that back to you as a Packer fan. Maybe you can understand the question a little bit more. Uh, I, has it changed how you feel about Brett Favre in the long term? No, not long-term. Uh, I think a lot of people are obviously emotional, and I know there are a lot of Packer fans who do feel that, that, that they will never forgive Brett Favre. They are, you know, they'll, they'll never want to see him have his number retired, even though that's probably a foregone conclusion. Uh, I'm very much, and I wrote, I did a post for the Fifth Down blog on the New York Times website uh, the morning he was going to play against the Packers for the first time two years ago. Uh, and the title of that post was um, you know, Why I Still Love Brett Favre. And I always will love Brett Favre. I, I will always be a huge Brett Favre fan. Uh, what I tell people is that, you know, or what I told people when it was going on was, you know, Brett Favre is like my older brother. You know, and right now 
I just want to kick his butt. You know, it's like a relationship. It's a it's a relationship where, yeah, right now he's being kind of a doofus, but long term, all the joy he brought to me and to Packer fans. Uh, you know, everybody's got character flaws. He has a massive one in his indecision and his inability to make a decision. And that doesn't kill everything he did for the Packers and for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, it's just childish to think that way. So, no, it hasn't changed the way I think about him. Uh, he'll always be a Packer. They should totally retire his number, totally put his name up in the, up in the ring there at Lambeau. Uh, he was in a major part of the Packer organization in Packer history. So big, uh, big season last year. A pretty, pretty incredible ride. Came out of the gate, I think, you know, favored to do some things. And then it seemed like, you know, what's strange about the team is I remember at one one day, one week, uh, I'm sitting there watching the game, and I know that the Packers need to win uh, to get into the playoffs, and they're struggling to get a point against the Bears. And mm, then, yeah. you know, a month later, they're winning the Super Bowl. What happened there? <laughs> Well, the Bears are a special entity, and Lovey Smith in particular, in that uh, Lovey's got Mike McCarthy's number, so he, those games are always tough. Like it's never Packer fans, even when 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 McCarthy's teams are playing well, uh, Lovey Smith is always a tough out for Mike's offense, and that's because Mike refuses to commit to his running game, uh, which is fine. And I have long said he doesn't need a running game, and I think he kind of proved that this year. Um, but because of that. His Lovey Smith's cover two is the perfect defense against Mike McCarthy's deep passing game. Uh, in that he only has to rush four, he keeps all his guys back, and, you know, and he just waits. He just waits for something for the offense to mess up, and sooner or later you're going to. Um, you know, in that game in particular, both defenses played fantastic. Um, you know that that's just how good that defense is against McCarthy's offense. Uh, but then, like you said, you got into the playoffs. You saw a little bit more. I mean, you saw the running game with James Starkey in Philadelphia. You saw Aaron Rodgers have a just a ridiculous, unconscious game against Atlanta where you know, he could do no wrong. Uh, and then again, back in Chicago, you got to remember, everyone remembers that game that like, the Packers kind of walked over Chicago, but they came out to those first 14 points off of play action early in the, early in the game, moving the ball. But once Lovey's defense settled down, they were, they were fine. They, they were all right. So... You know, and that ended up being a close game, and they went to their third-string quarterback. So, you know, you know, then they get to the Super Bowl, and they obviously had a great game against the Steelers where they got points off of turnovers, which is the total difference in that game. But yeah, the uh, it's, always been, it's always been a tough out. But, uh, you know, McCarthy has a good offense. It's not, a, it's not as good as it could be. It's not as great as it could be, and he knows that. You know, he talked about it at the Combine, uh, the need to improve on the offensive side of the ball. Um yeah, so he he knows that there's work there to be done, uh, as much more so than any you know fan or commentator. My team only has one ring, and I figure it's going to be hard to ever top that season. Your team has four. Let's throw one and two out for a second, because neither of us are around for that. Was it a more special season last year, or was it more special the Favre Reggie White being the Patriots season? You know, it's, you know, it's interesting. I've been asked that a couple times since, since it happened, and it's just different. And I, I don't know if one's more special than the other. Probably, it, I probably enjoyed the 96 version a little bit more because I wasn't so involved in the website part of it. You know what I mean? Like having to update everything and, you know, talking about who's injured and who's not playing and all this. And this, you know, in 96, I just kind of enjoyed the run. You know, I was on my, 
recliner, uh, drinking beers, watching the games. Uh, whereas this time, I was very much involved as a, an observer, a commentator. Uh, but because of that, I got to know some of the guys on the team, and you know, we really get to get, get to know their stories. So I had a bit of a more connection to, you know, people on and around the Packers. So that aspect, it was a little. Uh, this year was definitely a little more special, but as far as like a pure fan experience, it was probably '96. So a couple seasons ago, or a couple of years ago, I don't know why I said seasons. A couple of years ago, me and my brother we decided we were going to go to get some dinner at Bonefish, which is I don't know, it's a chain. It's it's at one of our malls. So we go and we get dinner at Bonefish, and we come out, and I look to my left, and who's standing there but James Starks with a Packers <laughs> hat on, and I said, "Oh yeah, today's the draft." And I, uh, it was the second day, I think, and I kind of maybe I put it past my mind. Right, right, yep, yep. And yep. I said to him, I said, so does this mean you were drafted by the Packers? And he's like, yeah, man. I'm like, so are you excited? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm like, all right, best of luck to you. How do you like James Starks? You know, what kind of kid have you found him to be as a pro? Um, I know, this is what I know of him. He went to Niagara Falls High School, won a state championship playing basketball, and uh, he was probably the best player in the history of University of Buffalo football and was going to be a first-round pick, but then never got to play a senior season because of a shoulder injury and ended up right. lasting the way he did. What, what kind of a kid has he proven to be uh, in Green Bay? I know he had a couple, couple of big games in the playoffs there and kind of his name was big for a second, but uh, maybe he kind of slowed down towards the end of the playoffs. But just what, what's your overall feelings of James Starks and what – have you learned about him as a kid uh, through following him this last season or two? Well, you know, all the, everyone I've talked to who talks to the guy regularly in the locker room really likes him, has a great attitude. Uh, it's, his story is kind of funny when it comes to the blogosphere in general, just because during the season, you know, the Packers are having so much trouble running the ball. Uh, there's there, there a group of fans that, and this, this movement grew rather rapidly, that, you know, viewed James Starks as the savior of the running game. Like, all they needed to do was get James Starks off the PUP and magic would happen. And myself and a couple other beat guys were like, well, let's, let's hold up. You know, the guy hasn't played in over a year. Uh, you know, he hasn't had contact. He hasn't worn shoulder pads in a game in a, a, almost two years. You know, so we were kind of like, you know, I guess uh, the Debbie Downers of the group saying, let's just hold on. Uh, and then, you know, he got off PUP. Got in for a game. He played really well. It was against uh, the 49ers. He, played, he had a great game. Uh, and then, you know, everyone said, well, there you go. That proves it. I told you. He's, he's great. He's the, he's the answer. And then the next week, he was inactive. You know, he, he didn't see the field again. Right. Uh, until the playoffs. Until the – well, actually, that's not true. The next week, he was – they played at Detroit, and he had a terrible game, but so did the entire offense. But then he wasn't active again until the playoffs. And, you know, McCarthy had, you know, had said that he needed to learn how to practice better. And he never expanded on that, and nothing's ever been really written about what exactly Starks needed to work on. You know, the whispers are that he just wasn't transferring, you know, what he was doing in practice onto the, onto the playing field. Um, now, what exactly, what, what areas he needed to work on, I don't know. But you saw what he did in the playoffs. You saw what he did at Philadelphia. Um, and I know uh, from everyone I've talked to, both in and around the Packers, that they love this kid. I mean, they love him. And he is most obviously the heir apparent to Ryan Grant, who's entering the last year of his contract. Uh, they think he's a, he has a chance to be a star in the league. Um, you know, it's just a question of getting the touches, getting the experience. 
I think you'll definitely see him sharing time with Ryan Grant this year before he becomes the kind of workhorse back next year. What? Uh, how did you feel about the draft? Were you satisfied with what they did? It's a long wait there, waiting for pick number thirty-two, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And actually, I got I I go to the draft every year. I'm in New York City, and I get credentialed, and so I get to go every year. This year was even better because I got to go up on stage with the commissioner and uh, be up there for a pick or two. So that was really cool. Um, I was very excited to see all the offense uh, that that was selected. I think that was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people. Um, I love the Randall Cobb selection. I loved all. I, I, there wasn't a pick I really had a problem with, uh, I, but I loved Randall Cobb. I loved Alex Green, um, Sherrod at the tackle. I, I, you know, that's something they're going to need, I and mean, they need to protect uh, the franchise quarterback. I and mean, he's their guy. So, yeah, I, I wasn't really blown away or surprised by anything. But I really, I thought it was a solid draft. I thought. You know, they did a great job of replenishing the talent on the team. They're going to lose a couple guys, most likely James Jones, Brandon Jackson. Uh, so they've got their replacements in Randall Cobb and, and Alex Green, potentially. So I, I think, you know, they did a great job, and, and that, you know, it's just what Ted does. You know, he he drafts and develops, drafts and develops, and then you, you pay the guys you can pay, and you got to watch the guys walk that have to walk. But, you know, the rich get richer, and I'm happy with it, definitely. Being involved in such a huge undertaking like this, and you said a couple times it is a labor of love, has the lockout hurt that at all? Have you been an annoyed by the lockout? Has it soured you from kind of putting the work in that you that you do? It's been it's been difficult um, to kind of you know get your football juices flowing. I mean, I haven't I've been reporting on the lockout, and I've been you know following every detail, every up and down, and and writing about it, but. Uh, as far as, like, you know, I know there's a large segment of the football, you know, fandom populace that could care less about the lockout, especially if it doesn't, you know, alter anything as far as the regular season goes. So all they want to know is, is it over and are we going to have our games, you know? Uh, so for me, I know there's that audience there, and I know I should be you know, writing more football stuff, like, oh, what can we do with Randall Cobb and what, 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 you know, adjustments will they have to make on defense uh, if they lose Colin Jenkins and things like that. But I just haven't been able to get into that at all until mm-hmm. I know that there's a resolution. Uh, and thankfully, that's why we have guys like Brian around who, you know, is great at that kind of stuff. And he's been wonderful about providing daily content and everything you could ever want to know about the Packers, including football and non-football stuff. So uh, the lockout hasn't hurt my passion or my, you know, my love for doing you know, work on the site, but it's definitely changed my, uh, I guess, my point of emphasis, as, as it were. Just to reset here, it's the Sportscasters. We're here with Aaron from CheeseheadTV.com, the number one Packers blog on the internet. Make sure you give them a follow on Twitter. They are just simply at CheeseheadTV. Is there a couple other Twitter you want to throw out, maybe yours, your partners, or anyone who works yeah, on the definitely. site? Yeah, uh, definitely. Anybody that's interested in the Packers got to follow She's at TV. Definitely got to follow Brian Caribou. It's at Brian Caribou. It's two R's. Um, and then myself at Aaron underscore Negler, N-A-G-L-E-R. Uh, and at Corey Benke, my, uh, my uh, partner in crime, so to speak. Uh, and, of course, at Packers Lounge, which is our, uh, our huge uh, area for fans just to come. It's kind of a free-for-all. Anybody wants to talk anything about the Packers, it's a great place to be. What's the future of this site? And you look five years down the road, where do you want Cheesehead TV to be? Well, ideally, uh, you know, we'd, we'd find some uh, 
independently wealthy Wisconsinite <laughs> Packer fan who sees the value in what we're doing and offers to uh, make this our full-time job. But uh, outside of, uh, you know, fantasy land there, we're, we're slowly getting, you know, advertisers and sponsors. And uh, that's one thing the lockout has hurt. I mean, you had all this momentum. You win the Super Bowl. You know, the site's doing well. The team's doing great. And then there's a lockout. And everything just kind of, all the momentum stops. And none of the advertisers or, or sponsors are, you know, they all are in wait-and-see wait mode. So, you know, five years down the road, like I said, I, I would love to be making this my full-time job uh, so I wouldn't be going to a day job and I'd be covering the Packers as a fan. I mean, I think that's like the dream. I mean, that is the absolute dream. And it's not too far from reality right now. So we just keep plugging away and hopefully that day will come. Are there any other blogs you really like for other teams in the league? I think, uh, what is it, 18 to 88, the, uh, the Colts blog, they're fantastic. The work is fantastic. Um, and Blogging the Boys, the, the Cowboys blog there, I think it's an SB Nation blog. Uh, they're wonderful. They're really, really great. Um, and the Jets blog, uh, Brian Bassett's blog. Uh, he's a local guy here, covers the Jets. He's simply fantastic. He's probably the closest thing I've seen to what, what it is we do, but uh, he's great. He's, he's really wonderful. I know another thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, did you guys get into the voting for Aaron Rodgers for the Madden cover, or did you guys? Just oh, kind of, yeah. uh, it's so ridiculous. I could care less. Yeah. But I'm a, I'm a huge Madden fan. I I play Madden way too much, and during the season, this is true. Every week before the game, I live tweet a Madden simulation uh, of that upcoming week's opponent. It's kind of sad and pathetic, <laughs> but it's really super popular because that's how Packer fans are. It sounds like fun um, too. But, uh, no, we didn't, I didn't really care about that. I mean, we keep track of it, obviously, and whatever. Uh, I don't think there's a curse. I know a lot of people do. I know, I know for a fact that a ton of Packer fans voted for uh, Hillis when it was up against Rodgers and Hillis there in the final. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised he didn't win. I mean, I know a lot of people thought it was shocking, but I think a lot of, a lot of Packer fans were voting so that Aaron wouldn't get it. So. What scares you the most about the upcoming season? Anything in terms of you know being the being the team on top? Yeah, now. you know, you know, uh, Jerry Kramer actually uh, had had a great quote on this. Uh, I'll have to paraphrase; we don't have it in front of me. But he said, you know, th- I, I, one thing that scares him, he said, is that you know he he doesn't know if these guys are aware of how good they can be, and I, I totally agree. This team is set up to have a run unlike anything we've seen in the free agency era. I mean, the true era after the Cowboys dominated the 90s. I mean, uh, you know, the Patriots had their time, but, you know, they haven't, they haven't won in a long time, and it's like time for the Packers. They could go on a serious run here. And you don't worry about, you know, their you know, complacency and all the things you worry about when you're defending a Super Bowl champ, but they could be a seriously special team for a good number of years here, and you just hope that they, they, they capture that moment and they don't let complacency sit in, and they really go after, you know, championships number two, three, four, whatever, you know. But other than that, it's a young team. It's built. It's a deep team. Thompson's built for the future. Uh, his system's, you know, proven. It works. Um, McCarthy's a great coach. It's not, not, not too much scares me, uh, other than, like I said, uh, just not, uh, not having that will, that drive that, that got him there in the first place. All right, it's Adam Nagler, CheeseheadTV.com. We can't thank you enough for joining us, being a part of 32 Teams, 32 Blogs. 
make sure you visit the site. All this stuff we talked about in terms of people to follow, they have a really nice latest tweet section where you can find all the people that uh, he mentioned in case you're having trouble spelling some of the names. Um, it's Aaron underscore Nagler. We have uh, Pack at Packers Lounge, all this stuff. So make sure you check it out. It's really thorough. You could spend, I know I spent maybe two hours just looking at all the different stuff the first time I came to the site. Um, hopefully people will check it out. And thanks a lot for being on the Sportscasters. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. Okay, thank you. All right, Sportscasters back with one last segment today, episode 25. Got to thank Neil Best for joining us on the show today. Of course, you can find Neil at New York Newsday, and uh, we want to thank him for joining the show. Also, have to thank from CheeseheadTV.com, have to thank the great Aaron Nagler for joining us. Make sure you check out Cheeseheadcom Of course, that's part of 32 teams, 32 blogs. Packers are in the can. So thanks, thanks to Aaron for joining us. And since Don is out today with a relapse of his scurvy, uh, instead of pick four, we're going to do something different. We're going to do 9 and 90 like we did a couple weeks ago with John Cullen from the Windsor Spitfires. But just real quick to recap pick four last week. I went 3-1, and one, having the Canucks 1-0 over the Bruins, uh, having the Mavs over the Heat in game 5, 86-83, having the Braves over the Marlins 3-2. to two. My only loss is Dwayne Wade was not the NBA Finals MVP. Uh, Don went 1-3, very disappointingly. His only win was the Canucks 1-0 in the game of the week. He lost his baseball game. Mets over the Brewers 4-1. He had Miami over the Mavs. Again, that was 86-83. And he predicted our picks would go 5-1, but they were actually 4-2, so he missed that. His record is 45-48. I am 46-47. Zach, we need the evil computers. Our picks are horrific. <laughs> that's all right, but you need to give it that old college effort. And you know we've been we've been honest about it. We're taking our lumps, but as as uh, game pickers, we're we're terrible. So you instead, you are what your record is. Yeah, and it's not very good. Just about five hundred. So instead, we're going to do something called nine and ninety. Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com is nice enough to play with us today. Also, Zach is a little bit of a cross promotion because Zach appears on our U.S. Open preview show, which is posted along with this podcast. So make sure you check out Zach and Yale hockey forward Anthony Day and I discussing all things U.S. Open. And uh, Zach, we're going to play 9 and 90, and the way it works is I'm going to ask you nine questions. You can answer them as long, as long or as short of an answer as you feel fit. You have 90 seconds to answer them, but you know what? Since it's going to be really fun, I'm not going to ignore the clock today and just ask you nine questions and see what your nine answers are going to be. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, bring the heat. All right, we're going to put 90 imaginary seconds on the clock, and that clock will start when I'm done reading question number one, which is, what percent of the time do you bet money against the advice given by the evil computers? Uh, I would say roughly 35% of the time during the NFL, uh, not during uh, college football season. Before or after, the NFL will end its lockout on September 1st. It will end it before September 1st. You have said the optimist in me. Number three, you have said before on the sportscasters that you have a trophy wife. What sports trophy would you most compare her to? <laughs> the Stanley Cup, because you get to kiss it. <laughs> number four, how will you punish your son if he decides to take his talents to Austin, Texas? 
I will uh, throw wet sponges at him and uh, tell and, and scream why once every eight seconds. <laughs> Number five, who is your favorite Sooner in the Bob Stoops era? Uh, Quentin Griffin, because he was 5'6", like, uh, like the guy you're talking to. Number six, Dave Damashek brought us together. What makes Dave so great? The fact that he put me on his air uh, without knowing me, but just being uh, introduced by Jimmy Kimmel and letting me uh, sit next to uh, sideline reporter Sarah, who was his, uh, one of his uh, cohorts back in the day, and he let me wear the headphones in studio and take a picture with him. Number seven, who will win the BCS championship game next season? Oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, probably either a uh, Big 12, either Oklahoma or uh, somebody from the SEC. Classic question, no family members are God. Pick three others for your ultimate golf foursome. Luke Donald, my friend Andy, and, um, and Bubba Watson. <laughs> Number nine, in the time remaining, pretend it's 30 seconds, convince the holdouts why they should subscribe to AccuScore. Uh, because I commission every dollar that is made. And I want to be able to support my trophy wife with nice rings and diamonds and, and ice. And if you do that, I get a piece of that action, and everybody wins. Uh, actually, no. Uh, look, you, you should uh, join AccuScore if you're actually serious about using statistics or trying to create an edge for yourself if you actually bet on sports. If you don't bet on sports but just like information, just come to AccuScore and view it for free. But if you actually bet, you should be doing everything uh, out, everything you can to try to ensure that your money has the best possible opportunity for a return on investment. Zach, thank you very much for playing 9 and 90. I don't know how long that was. It felt like probably more than 90 seconds, but I think you did pretty good. What was your favorite question? I felt like, uh, I just felt like just the whole idea. I mean, just going fast. I felt like I got to go fast and answer quickly. <laughs> you got to test my wit. It was pretty good. Thank you very much for that. Uh, thanks again to Neil Best. Thanks to Aaron Nagler. Uh, you can find the Sportscasters, www.sports-casters.com. Follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com. We're now on Stitcher, so make sure you find us on there and give us, a, give us a thumbs up. The guy at Stitcher told me the more thumbs up we get, the better. And uh, you can also follow our blog. I will be doing a Game 7 live blog tomorrow night for the Cup. That is thesportscasters.blogspot.com. And don't forget, along with episode 25, to check out Zach Rosenfield and Anthony and myself doing a U.S. Open preview similar to the one we did for the Masters. Zach, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to cue the hip, and we will be back next week. There we are.